Well, good morning. Have you ever used a tool for something other than what it was designed for? Okay, yeah. So like use the claw on the back of a hammer to try to pull like a screw out or, or pound it in a nail with the handle of a screwdriver because there wasn't a, a hammer nearby. You've done this? Yeah, so I assume a lot of us have done this. And when we do it, at the moment that it's happening, well, first of all, it must bring some sort of pride because people said yes when I asked that question, which I was shocked by. Um, so, so yeah, so we, we sometimes figure out something, we'll use this thing even though it wasn't designed for it and we'll use it to make, get the job done. But as it's happening, we typically know that what we are doing is not ideal, right? Like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Um, but we know that and we're just doing it temporarily. Um, but imagine a world where that happened all the time. If no one knew which tasks required which items and the wrong things were placed in the wrong places, right? It would be an unnecessarily difficult world right? Okay, that's why we uh, need a series on spiritual gifts. God has given different gifts to different people within his church so that they would perform different functions depending on the situation. And each person in a church, knowing what their function is, knowing what role they play regarding God's mission, helps us to accomplish that mission in ways that aren't unnecessarily difficult. You following? So today we begin a new series on this topic. I have spoken on the topic of spiritual gifts here before, um, but usually it's just been one sermon and then we move on. Um, And so beginning today, I'd like to start a four-week series on this topic so we can get into some details that we've never covered here before. Our main passage for this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. If you have your Bible with you, um, I would love for you to turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, or find it on your phone. If you have neither of those, it is going to come up on the screen and you can read along. Um, But Romans chapter 12... Let me read to you verses four through eight. This is our text for this week, and it's our main text for the next couple of Sundays as well, um, if the Lord wills. Romans 12, starting in verse four. It says this, Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. So that's our passage, and the passage easily breaks down into two parts, okay? There's um, the metaphor of the body, which is verses four and five, and then there's the list of spiritual gifts, which is verses six through eight. So we're gonna take them in that order. Let's start with verse four. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function. Let's just pause right there. So what is it talking about? It's talking about the human body, right? The human body is made up of multiple parts, And the multiple parts do not all have the same function. We understand this, right? So the way I've seen this illustrated, I've illustrated it this way before, um, similar to this, and I've heard other people illustrate it this way before. I'm sure I got it from them. But the way I want to kind of illustrate it is I want to ask you a series of questions. Um, What part of your body do you use to kick a soccer ball? Okay. What part of your body do you use to catch a baseball? Okay. What part of your body do you use to take a math test? Okay. I wondered if you would say brain or fingers. I didn't know what that would reveal about our personalities. But, but I was thinking brain. Um, and so, but, but it's interesting, even that one, when you think about it, s- s- probably a lot of people thought I used my brain, but maybe there are a few people that thought, but I use my fingers. And then at that point you realize, oh, I use 
more than one body part in order to take a math test, don't I? And then when you think about that, you realize that really applies to everything, right? You, you, we, when we say, oh, what part of your body do you kick a soccer ball with? We quickly say foot, but then you realize that is not the only body part you're using to kick a soccer ball, right? Your foot cannot cook, kick the soccer ball independent of your leg. You're right, right? The leg has, you kick a soccer ball with your foot and your leg. You, you catch a baseball with your hand and your arm, right? The hand's not just doing that all alone, right? Your arm is needed in order to catch a baseball. Um, and actually your leg and your foot is not the only thing that's being used at the time you kick a soccer ball, right? Your lungs are doing something very important. Without your lungs doing their job, your foot and, and your leg would not be able to kick the soccer ball. Same goes for catching the baseball. And the same goes for taking the math test. It's not just fingers and brain that are in on it, right? Red blood cells are doing stuff and your heart is pumping. If your heart was not doing its job, then you would not even be able to take it. You, you, I mean, wow, you actually use your heart to take a math test. Isn't that weird? And so once you think about it, you realize virtually every activity you do requires every body part, each doing its part, working together to get the job done. And that's the idea behind this. Like 2,000 years ago, they knew that the human body had multiple parts, each with its own job, and each part working together to accomplish what the whole body accomplishes. So then you go to verse 5. Because verse five starts with this. It says, in the same way, right? Meaning the reason he brought up that you have a body with different body parts that all do different things, right? Is because it is like something else that he wants to talk about, right? In the same way, just like a body has different body parts with different functions, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The author of this passage, Paul, brings up the idea of the human body because he's, he's, he's illustrating something. He's saying it's like the way we who are many, so who's the we who are many? Christians, right? That's us. So we Christians who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So the church is like the human body. We are, we, all of the Christians are one body. We are connected to one another. How, How are we one body? We are one body in, what's the word? Christ. It's because of Christ that we are one body. Jesus Christ, those of us who are one body are the people who believe in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you get brought into the one body. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what we believe as Christians. That's one one of the main things we all have in common. Okay, I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Okay, he forgave me because he died on the cross for my sins. He he came back to life. There is an eternity we're all gonna share. So there is this gospel. We believe in Jesus. So in Christ, we now are brought all into the same kingdom. We're all brought into the same household. We're all brought into the same body. We are, because we believe in the gospel, we are connected to Christ. Now, here's the basic logic here. If I'm connected to Christ, and you're connected to Christ, then I'm connected to you. You see that? It just comes with it. And so he says, we are individually members of one another. That is so interesting. This is one of the few places in the New Testament that uses the word members to describe church people, okay? Nowadays, people use the word members to describe church people all the time, the members of a Baptist church or the members of the Lutheran, whatever. Um, but the word members here is, is it's one of the few places where the New Testament uses the word member to describe a church person. And the way that the word is being used is actually quite a bit different than the way we use the word members nowadays. I don't know if you know this. You, you can look it up in the Greek and see this though. The word member in this verse, and I think every single time that it's used in the New Testament to talk about church people, is like this. 
Um, let me kind of compare it. I've heard it said this way. In our culture, we say, so-and-so is a member of the Country Club of Ocala, or so-and-so is a member of Planet Fitness. But this word right here is more like the sentence when we say, the person was murdered and their body was dismembered, okay? Now, we don't say that a whole lot, unless you're a big fan of Law & Order SVU. Um, we don't use the word dismembered a whole lot, but that's pretty much the only word I can think of in like modern English that uses the word member like this, right? It's not that we're members of Golden Gokala. It's the body was dismembered. If you look it up in Greek, this word members, it's a word that means um, like a bodily organ or limb. So when it says we are all members of one body and individually, it's not saying, and we are all part of the same club. It's saying, no, we are all organs and limbs <clears throat> in the same body. We are members of one another. <clears throat> now, that distinction is important because if you think of member as just, I'm a member of Planet Fitness, that's just, it gives you a different, it gives you a different idea than the members of a body dependent on one another. The, the members of a body, the body parts and the limbs and the organs working together is so different from I'm a member of, at the same gym as him. And I would say one of the differences between those two uses of the word member um, is the body part imagery involves interdependence and common mission which is something we do not assume when we say members of, of the, the same golf club, right? Interdependence means like the different body parts need each other to do what they do. That is not true of the members of a country club, right? The, the body has a common mission of what it's trying to accomplish as the body. And so the different parts are all working on the common mission together. We talked about that, right? That kicking the soccer ball actually requires all of the body parts to be doing their thing. Right? The catching of the baseball, the taking of the math test. It's the body, all the body parts have a common mission. They're all accomplishing something together. That is not true of the members of the YMCA. Right? The lady in the Zumba class is not trying to accomplish something alongside of the guy pumping iron in the weight room. Right? They are not dependent upon one another on a common mission. They're just members of the same club. And that's not what's being said here. This is not members of the same club. This is parts of the same body. God designed the Christian church to accomplish his will by it being made up of different parts, different people, with different functions, working together like a body. All right, so let's go cut. Thank you. Let's look at the uh, second half of the passage. So that's verses four and five. So now verses six through uh, eight. Right after it says that, it says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And then it lists the gifts. The seven gifts that are listed are uh, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy, right? That's the seven gifts that are listed here, okay? Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Now, there's more words than that because this paragraph actually says how to use the gift, right? Like if teaching, how are you supposed to use it in teaching? What are the giving people supposed to do? It's both this with generosity. How do you use the gift of leading with diligence? How do you use the gift of showing mercy with cheerfulness? But the list of gifts is seven. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Now, some people believe that this is an exhaustive list, okay? Meaning that... Um, this, is the, this is the list of spiritual gifts, that every single Christian in the world has one of these seven gifts. There are other people that believe this is just the first seven gifts that Paul thought of when he was writing out a list of examples, right? That he was not saying these are the seven, he's just saying they're like this. These are the kinds of gifts that God gives to his people. These are some of the functions that God gives to his people. 
Now, when you look at the list, it is interesting. Most of the things on this list, if you, if you kind of look at other passages of the Bible and then think about this list, most of the things on this list um, are, are functions that God wants every Christian to do sometimes, right? These don't seem to be something that's like really special and unique. Like it seems to me every single Christian at some point in their life is going to be responsible to serve others. Every Christian at some point is going to be called to give something away. That's the situation they're going to be in. Now, I've got something and they need it, right? There's every, every single one of us is going to be in a situation, regardless of our giftings, where we are supposed to teach something to someone. Like, we'll be there and they won't know a thing and we will. And they're like, oh, I've got to tell you this thing that you don't know. Every single one of us in this room at some point is going to be called to show mercy to someone in a difficult situation, Right? Almost all of these things are things that all Christians are supposed to do sometimes. And you can tell that from the rest of the Bible. That is absolutely true. But that is not the point Paul is making here. Even though from the rest of the Bible, we can know, well, this is stuff we're all supposed to do. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying here, some people will be particularly gifted in certain ways. And those people who are particularly gifted in certain ways become particularly responsible to accomplish those kinds of things routinely and more so than other kinds of people. So that is our passage for this morning. What I'd like to do now is for the rest of this sermon or for most of the rest of the sermon, I'd like to take some time to define the term spiritual gifts. If we were in, if we were in a series called Spiritual Gifts, and we are, and if this sermon <clears throat> is titled Part One, Introduction, it seems very reasonable that in this sermon, I would define the title, right? I would define the word spiritual gifts. What do we mean? If we're going to talk about this for four weeks, what do we mean when we say spiritual gifts? So I'm going to give you a definition, okay? The definition is going to come up on the screen. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you now, and then I'll explain more as we go. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given by God to all Christians so that we would serve others in different ways, okay? This is the definition I'm going to be using for this series. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given by God to all Christians so that we would serve others in different ways. I would like to now expand on this definition, explain more things of what I mean here, and even show you where I get this from the Bible, that I think this is actually grounded in the text of Scripture. This is not just an arbitrary definition that I made up, that we can see from the verses that this is what they are. So let's start with the first part of the definition. Spiritual gifts are abilities, okay? Spiritual gifts are abilities. Why did I say that? Like, why did I pick that as the word? So spiritual gift is a what? It's an ability. Well, the main reason I picked it, I guess there's two. One of them is because the list of things that are listed are abilities. Like right after these gifts are talked about, they are then listed. In other words, it does not say, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. It doesn't say after that, some people have houses, some people have boats, some people have tools, Right? I mean, it could have. That was true back then. That is true to this day, right? There are some of us who have houses and some of us who have boats and some of us who have tools. Like, there are, and, and those things are gifts. Like everything you own is a gift from God. So Christians have like items, objects that God has given to us that we don't deserve. They are gifts. But that's not what he's talking about. Everything on this list is an action that people do, not an item that they have. I also chose the word abilities to parallel the word functions in verse 4, right? He, the metaphor that came just before the list was, we have many parts in one body and all parts do not have the same function, right? It seems to me that's talking about an ability. Like they back then knew, and you could tell this from 1 Corinthians, like the nose had the function of smelling and the ear had the function of hearing, right? And the eye has the function of seeing, 
right? But you could almost think of that as an ability, right? The nose has the ability to smell, right? The ear has the ability to hear. It's something that the other body parts don't have, right? So these seem to be abilities that we have. Now, there are two other words I thought about including, and then I didn't, I just went with this to keep it simple, but two other words I thought about including around this word abilities, and one of them is the word talents. I thought, well, maybe I could call them talents. Spiritual gifts are talents that are freely given by God, because I think that's true too, at least most of the time. Um, A lot of things that we have that we call gifts or abilities that people have, they're talents, because the word talent isn't the same as the word ability, right? Like there are abilities that we would say are not talents. I think most of you would say that I have the ability to uh, breathe, the ability to hear, the ability to walk, but no one would say that's a talent, right? No one would go, oh, look at that, right? That's not a talent because it's something that we all have. So abilities can be something normal, but a talent seems to be something that someone is like above average at doing, and that seems to be the case with the gifts, that it's not just that the person is able to do something that everybody's able to do, but they're particularly gifted in this area, like a talent. They're especially equipped to do certain things. Another word that I thought about using was the word motivations. Now, I didn't use the word motivations because it's not in the text, but I, <clears throat> I have some friends that taught me this, and I thought it was very helpful, that wrapped up in the spiritual gifts that God gives us, it seems sometimes are motivations that God has given us to do certain things. I learned this from <clears throat> some friends of mine. They attend church here. They actually sit right there in the second service. Their names are Amanda and Jeremy Richards. And Amanda and Jeremy Richards, they've been coming to the church for years, and they teach a class on spiritual gifts from time to time. And if you ever have the opportunity to take their class on spiritual gifts, I would highly recommend it. I have taken it. It was very helpful to me. If you get the opportunity to take it, I think you should. But one of the things that they teach when they teach on spiritual gifts is that there are these motivations that God gives people that he doesn't give to everybody. I guess the idea is something like this, that they're wrapped up in your spiritual gift. The the person who has the gift of teaching typically does not hate teaching, right? The person who has the gift of teaching is motivated, like has this desire for education, right? I, I want to teach people things they don't know. That there's not just an ability, but there's this motivation or this internal desire that's wrapped up in it. This is something you can see even outside of spiritual stuff. Like if you just think about like an athlete, imagine like an all-star athlete, incredible, way better than average. Typically the way that that person got to be the incredible athlete they are is first of all, I mean, it seems to me they had to have at least two things, okay? The all-star athlete had to have at least two things. First of all, an ability. They had had the ability to do the things that they're called upon to do in the sport. But the second thing is they had to have a motivation. There, there had to be not, not just an ability, there had to be a desire to shoot free throws for hours until they almost never miss. There had to be desire to go, there had to be a motivation to go to the batting cages and just go over and over and over and over again. And the ability combined with the motivation over time becomes a talent or a skill. That person becomes better than most other people in that area. And if that's true, I would say God is the one, these good motivations that we have, those would be also a gift from God. The ability and the desire to do this certain thing over and over and over again until we became good at it. So the way that motivations can play themselves out in spiritual gifts and the way different people are wired would look like this. This is an illustration. I want you to imagine, um, imagine three different Christians, okay? But not wildly different Christians, Okay? I don't want you to picture one from China and one from Nigeria and one from Canada. I want you to pick three Christians who all live in the same neighborhood. Okay? They all live on the same street. They all go to the same church. So they're all the same culturally, 
And they, they go to the same church. So let's just imagine they're all the same doctrinally too. This is not like, well, this Christian believes way over here and this Christian, like all three of them, they believe the same doctrine. So you got, I want you to picture three Presbyterians, okay? Or three Baptists, whatever. Okay, so you got them in your mind. Now, imagine you go up to Christian number one and you say to Christian number one, what do you think the biggest problem is in the American church? It may be that Christian number one says, oh, that's easy, biblical illiteracy. Goodness gracious, people who call themselves Christians, they don't even know their Bibles. I saw a Barna study recently where it said 60% of Christians don't even know which books are in the Old Testament and which books are in the New Testament. How in the world are we gonna be the people that God has called us to do when we're not even reading the book that he has given us? Can you picture a Christian answering the question that way? I can, right? I've heard that. But then imagine you go to Christian number two and you say, hey, what do you, Christian number two, what do you think the biggest problem is in the American church? And imagine Christian two says, oh, that's easy. Lack of love, lack of love. Goodness gracious, God has shown his love toward us. For God so loved the world he gave, right? God loved the world. So he gave his one and only son. This is the example we've been given. This is what happened. Jesus by love saved us and then has put us on this path of love. And there are people out there who are lost and there are people out there who are vulnerable and there are people out there who are oppressed and we need to love them. There are orphans that need to be adopted and there are homeless people that need to be fed and there are widows that need to be taken care of. And goodness gracious, if the church would just get off its butt and stop being selfish and greedy and help those people God has called us to love, that would make all the difference in the world. Can you picture a Christian answering the question that way? Because I can, I've heard that. Now imagine you go to Christian number three and you say to Christian number three, what do you think like the biggest problem is in the American church? And imagine that person goes, oh my goodness. There's no efficiency, there's no accountability, there's no strategy. These churches are crazy, okay? This, the, like if you look at the US military and you see naval officers that are operating on a battleship, you will notice that everybody knows what rank they are. Everybody knows who reports to them and who they report to. Everybody knows what their job is and what time they're supposed to get their job done. And that is how a warship is able to do what it does. And the same thing applies to Fortune 500 companies. They have departments and everybody knows who's in charge of which ones. Everybody knows what the mission of the organization is and what the mission of their particular department is within the organization. And that's how they're making billions of dollars. And then you have the Christian church. Ooh, all loosey-goosey and nobody knows what they're doing and nobody knows who's in charge and there's no ranks and nobody, and there's, and no, people don't know what the, the mission of their church is and they certainly don't know the individual mission that they're a part of within that church. Oh goodness, if somebody could get a hold of the personnel and the resources of the millions of Christians in America and get us all going in the right direction, whew, that would make all the difference in the world. Now, can you picture a Christian answering the question that way? Now, here's the thing. This is what I think you need to get. Those three Christians are not worshiping three different gods. They're not reading three different Bibles, but it may very well be that they have three different gifts. That biblical illiteracy guy has the gift of teaching and that we need to love everybody has the gift of showing mercy and that we need to get this system right has the gift of leadership. Are you following me? That different people have different abilities and motivations that wire us in different ways. And if that is true, then the God, then God gifts us with motivations and abilities that become these talents that we then are supposed to use for his will. So that's the first part of definition. Spiritual gifts are abilities. Let's keep going. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given. Now, where do I get that from? Why do I say they're freely given? Well, I get it from verse six. 
According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So first thing is we notice the thing that we have, the word that's used is the word gift. The word gift means a thing that you didn't earn or you didn't deserve. Like that's what a gift is, okay? So, so why do you think spiritual gifts are freely given? Because that's what gifts are, right? That's just what a gift is. Um, the word that's used here is not a word like wage or payment. Hey, you were so holy, you were so good that you got this special thing. No, it was just given to you for free. It's a gift. In fact, earlier in the verse, there's another word that means uh, un, undeserved or unmerited, okay? And it's the word grace, right? According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. So on the one hand, this might mean that there is grace, like undeserved, unearned, that is given to all of God's people. And because of the grace that's been given to us, then there are these specific graces that are different for each person that are given. But either way, it's, it's undeserved, it's unearned. Like the verse says, according to the, you didn't deserve it, given to you, you have a, you didn't deserve it. Like it's redundantly clear that the thing that you have been given is something that was freely given. It's not because you were so holy. It's not because you read your Bible and prayed so much. It's not because you're so awesome that you were given this gift. Now, why is it important for us to realize that? I'll tell you why. Human pride. If a person is freely given an ability or motivation and it comes to become this talent that was given to them by grace, there's still something that happens within us sometimes, I'm sure you've seen it, where the person is particularly good at something and then looks at other people who were gifted in different ways, right? And says, wow, I'm really pretty awesome, right? Because she can't do it and he can't do it and I can do it, but I can, right? That person can't. I'm in fact, I said, will you do this for me? Like, no, I couldn't do that. You know, and there's part of me that was disappointed and there's part of me that's like, well, yeah, you can't, that's true. Like, you can't do what I can do, right? And so you start to look around and over time, you're like, why are these people not doing what I can do? Like, I'm awesome, they're lame, right? And then you realize, wait a minute, no, God has gifted different people differently and the thing that you have that you think makes you so awesome, it was given to you by grace. You didn't do, any, do anything to deserve it. You should not think of yourself as more highly than you ought. Okay, so the next part of the definition. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given by God to all Christians, okay? Now, why do I say all Christians? I would say by bare minimum, it's all Christians. The reason I say that is because of the word us and the word we. According to the grace that's given to us, who's the us there? It's Christians, that's who he's writing to, right? We, who's the we? The people that he's writing to, we have different gifts, and he's assuming himself in there. He's one of the we, right? Christians. So as he writes this, he assumes Christians thus have a gift. It's just written as if everybody has one. The, um, so we see this in Romans. In 1 Corinthians, you'll find another passage about spiritual gifts, and the same assumption is made in 1 Corinthians. He just writes as if everybody that he's writing to has one. And then Peter writes about this a little bit in 1 Peter. And Peter, as he writes his thing about gifts, basically says, he just assumes everybody that he's writing to has one and just tells them what to do with their gift, not like if you have one. Every single time spiritual gifts comes up in the Bible that I'm aware of, there's never a time that it comes up that, that it's like, well, there are a few of you that are special. And let me tell you what you few special people need to do with your gifts. The, just, the assumption is everybody reading this has one. Now, the person that were reading it back then would have been what? Christians, right? So I think we can assume Christians all have spiritual gifts. Now, then that brings up the question, well, what about non-Christians, Mario? Aren't there people who don't believe in God, but they have motivations and abilities that are different and even better than the people around them? Like, aren't there people who they don't trust in Jesus, but they are good at teaching or good at leading or good at showing mercy? And I would say to that, oh yes, 
I have seen that. I have seen it with my own eyes. So let me explain how I think this works. First thing I'll say is this. I do think that there are times when a person becomes a Christian and that at some point after they've become a Christian, God grants them a motivation or a talent or an ability that they did not have before. They didn't have it, then they became a Christian, and then God gave them something they didn't have, and now they're able to use that for him. I believe that happens. I think you see it with characters in the Bible. I think it happens in life. But I think that more often than that, God gives a gift, a motivation, a talent, an ability to someone who doesn't even trust in him. Okay. In fact, this is not unlike God. There are other places in the Bible that talk about God showing grace even to people who don't know him right? Like that the, the, the sun rises on the righteous and the unrighteous, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So I think God gives gifts even to people who do not trust in him. And then some of those people, one day they become a follower of Jesus. And then at that point, God then sanctifies that gift that they already had. And now, used, now it's to be used for him and his kingdom. All right, next part of the definition. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given by God to all Christians, so that we would serve others. The purpose of the gift is so that you would serve others. I think you can see this implied in the body metaphor of verses four and five, right? All the parts do not have the same function in the body, right? And we who, in the same way, we who are many in one body, in many in one, <clears throat> who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The different body parts do their different functions for the good of the whole body. Okay, if that's not clear enough, I'll read to you from 1 Peter 4.10 where it just flat out says it. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others. The idea here is that your spiritual gift was not given to you for you. Your spiritual gift was given for you to serve others. And then the final part of the definition. Spiritual gifts are abilities that are freely given by God to all Christians so that we would serve others in different ways. Where do I get that it's in different ways? Well, because according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. He doesn't say everybody has the same one, right? We have different gifts. We are not all the same. We're not all supposed to be the same. Now, there is a sense in which Christians all have the same function. Like all Christians are supposed to love each other, right? Like in that sense, we all have the same job. Like when you walked in today out in the lobby, it said, love God, love each other, love people who don't know God yet. That's not something we think there's a few special people supposed to do, or some people do the first one and some people do the second one, right? No, it's that we are all called to love God, love each other, and love people who don't know God yet. So all of us, we're supposed to love each other. This has been true historically, okay? Over the thousands of years of Christianity, right? People of God are supposed to love each other. But what I'm saying is, I think, this, I think what we can assume here is the way that a prophet loves might look different than the way that a giver loves, which might look different than the way an exhorter loves because Christians serve each other in different ways, right? We, we serve each other in different ways. So that's our definition, all right? My plan for the next two weeks, if the Lord allows me to do it, is to look at the seven gifts that are listed here um, and... Over the next two weeks, so I'm hoping to tackle three of them next week and then four of them the week after that. And I'd like to look at these gifts and look at other places in the Bible where these words are used or where these concepts are used and use that to help us get a handle on like what these gifts might look like in real life. So that's the plan for the next couple of weeks. 
Let me end today with two brief applications, okay? And these applications I got from other people, actually. There's two quotes. Um, the first quote is from Doug Fields, and the second quote is from Anders Nygren. I'll read them both to you now. Two applications. We end with, pay attention to needs, and the Christian must not strive to be everything. So I want to end with these two things. I thought they were great. Uh, first one is Doug Fields, pay attention to needs. Doug Fields um, is and was a pastor, uh, a youth pastor in California. And so I, I actually, this might be a paraphrase because I haven't heard him preach on this maybe in like 20 years. But I remember when I listened to this talk that he gave to his high school students back when I was a youth pastor. Okay, so this fellow youth pastor, he was, um, he was doing a speech to a, like a big room full of high schoolers. I think they had like hundreds or maybe thousands of high schoolers at, at their church. And so he, and he, was, he was talking to his high schoolers. He was he was doing a talk that was similar to the one I'm doing now, as far as he was talking about how Christians have this obligation to serve each other. And so he said to the high school kids that were there, he said, pay attention to needs. Like look around, not just for what you need, look around for what other people need and see if you can meet that need. And this is something that I did when I was a youth pastor. I would talk to my kids about this and I would, I would, they would show up, I would say, this is so important for you to understand. You, you show up at youth group, not thinking, what do I want? What do I need? What are my preferences? What do I hope happens tonight? How do I hope I'm treated tonight? You know, you show up at youth group thinking to yourself, how can I minister to them? How can I help someone else out? How can I make sure that like, she is happy that she showed up? How can I notice one of his needs and go, okay, how can I help him? And I would tell my kids this so many times. I'd say, let's say you show up at youth group and there's a kid over in the corner and it's their first or second time and they don't know anybody and they look lonely. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to show up going, well, what do I, I, I wonder what game is going to happen tonight and if it will please me. No, what if you looked and went, hey, that person's lonely and I can do something about it. I could sit next to said kid and talk to the kid and they wouldn't be lonely anymore. Why don't I do that? And so I just want to let you know, uh, uh, Doug Fields taught that to his kids, and I taught that when I was a youth pastor, but I just want you to realize that is not just a high school kid thing. This is for adults as well. When you show up here at church on Sunday morning, and or when you show up to your community group throughout the week, instead of showing up going, well, what are they going to do for me? What am I going to get out of this? What do I need? What do I want? Show up to your group, show up to your church, throw up to, show up to whatever gathering it is, thinking, how can I minister to them? What can, I, what can I take that God's blessed me with and help them? The second quote, and I love this one, is the Christian must not strive to be everything. So I found this in a book by a guy named Anders Nygren. I hardly know anything about him. Apparently some guy, somebody gave me a book of his. I put it on my shelf, didn't look at it until like a week and a half ago. It was on Romans. So I flipped to the part on Romans chapter 12 and read it. And this sentence jumped out at me. Okay, and after that, I Googled the guy to see like, what book am I even reading? And Anders Nygren apparently is a Swedish Lutheran pastor and theologian from like a hundred years ago. Um, and... In his section on, as he was talking about the spiritual gifts and how different parts have different functions, he wrote this sentence and I just thought, whoa, that is so good, so precise, so, so concise. The Christian must not strive to be everything. Well, I guess that's true. If you're not every body part and you don't have every gift, then the Christian is not supposed to strive to be everything. So I think this is gonna be good for some of you. I imagine there are probably some of you in this room who spend um, a, a, a unreasonable amount of time on things that are of no eternal value and you need to devote time and energy to ministering to other people and meeting their needs. But I would imagine there may be some of you that are the other extreme and you are trying to solve everybody's every problem every time, okay? 
And so some of you are in a room, I will call you, let me come up with a nice positive word for it. Some of you are overachievers, okay? <laughs> and this is what you need to know if you're an overachiever. It is not your job to meet every need for everyone as if you have all the gifts and you are every part of the body. That will exhaust you. So you do what God has set before you. You do what God has equipped you to do and motivated you to do, and you do that for him. If God wills, we will talk more about this next week. Thank you for listening. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you that you have given us grace in Christ Jesus so that we who were absolutely not connected to you and had no good reason to be connected to you were brought into your house, your family, your kingdom, your body by grace. We worship you for that. We thank you for that. And we recognize that you did not shape us all the same. You have different things that you've set before different people. And so I pray that you would guide us in your wisdom, so that we would each do our part in serving the body and in serving this world through your body. I pray you'd bless these people in their lives as they go to apply this to their lives. I pray you'd bless us these next four weeks as we learn and focus on this. Thank you for your grace. I pray we would do good with it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.